0: would think uh, that it's unfindable, sort of like a diamond ring that's been lost uh, in the ocean. Um, no matter how many times we dive uh, deep in order to to uh, grab what we think that we see and we come up with handfuls of sand, there's something within our heart that simply won't turn off the search. We just won't shut things down because we know that we need it so deeply. In fact, w- the fact is, is that we, we, we pull our resources, and we build technologies, and we even share information with each other in order to limit the search site. And yet joy, the thing that we long for, the treasure that's hidden, it seemingly, it's elusive to so many of us. It really is the motivating force of the great majority of the things that we decide. If you think about um, why you save money or why you spend money, joy and happiness are associated with it. It's why we work, it's why we play, it's why we love. It's why some of us choose to leave the people that once that we once thought we loved. It's why we worship. It's why we retire. Some of us, it's even the reason that we choose to sin. It's in the hope that in doing something that we think this is gonna bring happiness and joy to our heart, and yet it's so elusive. The fact is, we know it's there. Like we know it's available to us. We've heard stories when we were little kids. They told stories to us that, and those stories ended with something that says, you know, and 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 in the end, everyone lived happily ever after. We see pictures, and we see other people, and we and it and it seems like that they have really sort of escaped the futility of of the pains of life and they've reached some place of euphoria or of joy at a particular moment in time. And the fact is, is most of us have tasted the crumbs. We've tasted crumbs that have fallen off the table and we know that it's there because we've, because we've known it for seasons, for bits and days and maybe hours, maybe weeks. And, but then all of a sudden the semi truck of disappointment ran our joy off into the ditch It's why two-thirds of Americans who have a legally protected right to pursue happiness claim to be routinely unhappy. And I want to ask you something. Is that you? You don't have to answer out loud. In fact, I would encourage you not to. But is that you? When you look at your life, when you think about where you are at, when you lay in bed at night and... You're done talking to everyone else and you're thinking about the condition of your life, the amount of happiness, the amount of joy, the quality of life. Do you conclude like two thirds of people in America that you are unhappy with your life? You see, if that is you, I want you to know that there's hope. And the hope that I have is not that I can tell you to where to go buy it or what to save in order to get it. It's that there is somebody who recognized that we had a significant need and his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came to this earth with joy in his hand, ready to distribute it to everybody who draws near to him. He died on a cross in order to build a kingdom A kingdom that the Apostle Paul will later say is not built on rules of what we can eat, what we can't drink in order to find joy. No, his kingdom is built on righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start a series here today, it's going to last us the next three months. It's in the book of Philippians, and I want to pray for us as we get started, okay? Father, I thank you for your grace in our life that you would give us the book of Philippians. You would give us an inclination in our heart to come today and to be here. We thank you, Father, for the encouragement that we've already received and seeing people that we, that we care about, that we love. Father, for the encouragement of, of, of singing to you and maybe for some, that encouragement is not there. Maybe they're new and they don't know anybody in the room. Perhaps their life and the quality of their life or the circumstances of their life bring them to this day in this place and their heart is so full of unhappiness. And I pray, Father, for my own heart, God, I want to be joyful. I want to know greater joy than I've known. And God, I pray, I want providence. I want us as a people to experience more joy than we have known. And so would you do a work of grace for those of us who have studied and read Philippians so many times that maybe we think that there's nothing left to learn? I pray God that you would speak to our heart in a way that no human being can. Would you do that work of transformation within each one of us as you speak through weakness and through the million distractions that collectively we bring into the room. We look to you in faith now and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is great to see you and to sing with you. If you're new with us, welcome. We're thrilled that you have joined us. Uh, I would love for you to uh, head in your Bible to the book of Philippians, chapter one. Uh, we're gonna just work on the first two verses today. Uh, this is the second service, and so if it's like the first, I'm not gonna be able to finish both of those two verses. Uh, which, which uh, there's just a whole lot of sort of backstory that if you really understand the backstory, you're gonna enjoy the book of Philippians even more. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's lots of Bibles in the chairs near you in those uh, seats. And if you don't have one at home, take that home as a gift. We would love for you uh, to be reading it and to study it. And so Philippians chapter one, verses one and two says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So some foundational truths about joy. The first that we find here is this, is that joy is found in Jesus. It's found in in Jesus. And this is so important that you see this. These two verses are actually one sentence. There's only one period. And within that one sentence, Paul is compelled to talk about Jesus Christ three times. He's the source of everything that he's about to talk about. He's the source of his identity, who he is, who they are. Everything cir- circles around Jesus Christ And this is not his first and last name. These are names of purpose. They tell us something about the quality of what Jesus can do to our life and in our life. The word Jesus literally means savior, right? When he was in the womb, he needed a name and he went to his parents and said, listen, you shall name him Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus means savior. He has that quality and that ability in our lives. He can save and the word Christ is not his last name. No, Christ means promised one. All through the Old Testament, they keep saying, hey, there is one coming that's going to be born of woman, that's going to save us, Is going to forgive us, Is going to deliver us, Is going to bring us back into a relationship with God. He's the promised one. And now... We know who it is. It's the Christ. It's Jesus Christ. And we learn here that joy is found in Jesus. Now, most of us, we are a little confused because joy and happiness, they sort of feel the same. And so it's important for us to recognize how they are different. That's problematic. Let's see here. So what we, I got to tie a knot real quick. So what we know about joy and happiness is that we use them interchangeably make sure it sticks together. There it is. And so if this is uh, joy and happiness, this is the white rope. Okay. On one side, I'm going to call this knot over here. Okay. This is happiness and this is joy. And sometimes we use the words and it's just a synonym for one another. We'd say joy, we say happiness. And yet there's actually a difference between the two. And if you understand the difference, then there's actually supreme value. And the difference is what they're connected to. And whatever they're connected to has a particular quality that influences the sustainability of what they can provide. And so happiness, over here, this not over here, it actually comes from the word hap. It's all about the hap. Hap is an old English word that means luck or chance or circumstance. And so hap or happening is tied to happiness. And so, for example, if you go through a time and your circumstances are really delightful and really, really wonderful, then you feel a tremendous amount of happiness. And yet when the circumstances change, you may lose your happiness. Joy, on the other hand, even though it may feel the same, we may use it the same way. It's actually something very different. And it's because it's connected to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, we're told, is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So he has staying power he has sustaining power and so this is the reality of what we find is that most of us we talk about the two as if they're the same but when we talk about biblical joy we're not talking about our circumstances we're not talking about our happenings you've all seen somebody and they've gone through something really difficult their circumstances are not wonderful at all and yet they demonstrate this particular joy within their heart it's usually because they're connected to Jesus Christ. And you've also seen people, right, who who are tied to 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 um, to to their happenings. And if they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, is that they can literally be all over the map. They can be feeling happy and suddenly disappointment drives down the middle of the road and their happiness is now in the ditch. And so happiness is tied to our circumstances are happenings, and joy is tied to Jesus. So let's define joy. How I would define it is this. Joy is a good feeling, right? It's not a bad feeling. Like when we get hit by a car, we don't say, happy, I felt good. No, it's it's a bad, and then it's a feeling. It's not an idea. It's not a persuasion or a conviction. It may be those things, but more than this, but it's not less than this. There's a feeling. We feel joy. And where is that? It's in our soul. It's something deep within us. It's produced by the Holy Spirit of God. And it's produced by the Holy Spirit of God when we are near Jesus. Now, when I say near Jesus, right, you can be in his word and his word brings you near to him. And you can find times where his word, it just brings this particular delight and happiness to your heart, a joy. You can be out at the ocean Or in the mountains or some beautiful place that God has created. And we know that Jesus created all things. And so we can feel a sense of joy in being there. We can be in a friendship with somebody where there's genuine love that's motivated by a love for him. And suddenly we can feel joy because he's touching all of this. And we're touching something that he built and that he loves. That we can come into this room and we can sing to the Lord. And there's times that joy just wells up in my heart. It's because we're among the people of God. That Jesus is here with us. You see, joy is connected to Jesus. God, when he created us, we're told that he etched joy upon our hearts so that we would be led to Jesus when we were searching for it. In other words, joy has a source. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. What that means is to be near Jesus is to be near joy. That's why when Jesus came to the earth, the angel comes and what does he say? He says, I bring you good news of great joy. Why? Because Jesus came to the earth and then he lives his life. And the day, the night before he dies on a cross in order to pay for our sin, what does he say to his disciples? He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy, it's my joy. I'm the source. I'm the fountain. My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, since joy is tied to Jesus and Jesus has staying power, joy is able to withstand our stormy happenings. And let me show you how and why. Or let me show you an example of it with Paul, okay? Now, what we're going to find here is a, a pretty remarkable backstory to the book called Philippians. First of all, it starts with Paul, okay? Earlier time in his life, he went by Saul, and at one point in time paul i'm just going to call him paul for our for our sake okay paul was not a happy man okay um, or i should say a joyful man okay it was it was rarely p- published throughout town hey party at paul's house okay that, that, that wasn't paul paul was exacting he was religious he was he was um, he was intense he was critical people. He was judgmental of people. He was fixated on destroying Jesus' followers. So fixated that he went on a road to Damascus because he heard that there were some Christians there in order to hurt them and imprison them. And while he was walking on that road, Jesus in love came and opened up his eye and says, I am Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? And suddenly Paul saw in Jesus two things that absolutely changed his heart. First of all, he saw perfect righteousness. You see, all of this, all the rules and all the legalism that he built his entire life on was built to secure a righteousness for himself. And now all of a sudden he's seeing a righteousness that's perfected in Jesus Christ, a righteousness that he is falling short of. And he knows that he cannot accomplish this kind of glorious righteousness. But then he also is confronted with grace A grace that Jesus would say, if you trusted me, I will give you my righteousness and you don't deserve it. I'll give you eternal life, though you don't deserve it. I'll forgive you, though you do not deserve it. And joy was planted in Paul's heart when he trusted Christ and he had to share it with other people. And for him to share with other people meant that the people who he was with, who were supporting him in crushing Christianity would now be seeking to crush him. And so, almost immediately, he gets thrown out or has to escape from three different cities in order to save his life. He eventually gets to a city called Lystra. He's preaching in Lystra, and all of a sudden, they drag him out of the city and stone him with rocks, thinking he's dead. He wakes up from his unconsciousness, not dead, after they've left, and they thought, you know, I didn't get to finish that sermon. I'm gonna go back into Lystra to finish. He goes back in there, and eventually he goes, you know what, I need a breather. And so he goes to Jerusalem, and this is in Acts chapter 15. And after his, what we, uh, it's sort of a joke when he's saying it's a breather, he really wasn't. But, But he went there for a time, and all of a sudden, they sent him back out on his second missionary journey. They send with him a man named Silas, and this is where he went. You can see the map of all the places that they went. It took them three years. They traveled 2,700 miles. 1,400 of those miles were by land. Walking. In order to help people see and understand and know that they can be forgiven of their sin. And you notice that one of the places that they went, they started down here in Jerusalem. They went north. And all of a sudden you keep following that line and they get to Lystra. They went back to Lystra. You know why? I don't know why necessarily, but guess who they pick up there? They pick up Timothy. When it says here, Paul and Timothy, well, at the beginning of Acts chapter 16, Timothy has come to faith in Christ and he goes, Hey, I want to join your little missionary team. And Paul says, I want you to join my little missionary team. They become fast friends. They're they're not just buddies, they're, they're partners in ministry. He comes with them. And eventually, if you keep following it, look where they get, you see at the top, it says Philippi Philippians was written to the church in Philippi. But when they got there, there was no church. There were some ladies and they were down by the river and they were praying. There's no synagogue at the time. what, what we believe where he would normally go and start preaching and sharing the gospel. There was no, like that wasn't there. It's in Greece. And so he goes down and he hears, and all of a sudden there's a lady down there, several of them, they're praying and he shares the gospel with them. And one of them, her name is Lydia, trust Jesus Christ. It says, I want you to come tell my family and her family trust Jesus Christ. The very first believers in Philippi that we're aware of. Well later, like, so they keep going down and they keep going to the place of prayer. And there's this, there's this young girl who has a spirit. It's a demon. And this demon keeps saying, hey, these people are servants of the living God. And for whatever reason, Paul, after a series of days, looks and casts the spirit out. But the problem is this little girl could use the spirit to tell people's fortune. And she was a slave. And so the owners got all uptight because they just lost their opportunity to make money in fortune telling. So they throw Paul and Silas into prison. It says that they beat them. It says that they put them in the stocks. And what that means is, is that it is that they put ropes around their ankles and they would, they would stretch their legs open so far that it was almost to the breaking point. And then it, they would cramp. So they couldn't sleep. It was a, it was a form of torture. And so Paul and Silas, they can't sleep probably because they're cramping. So that, you know what we should do tonight? It's midnight. And they go I got joy in my heart. Let's sing. And so they start singing in the prison hymns to God. Now, don't forget, their happenings are really bad. And yet they're singing. There's joy within their heart. Well, all of a sudden, it says that there's a jailer and some prisoners and they can hear him singing. And God hears him singing. There's an earthquake. All of a sudden, the doors open in the prison and the jailer says, you know what? I either die now by myself or I'm going to die tomorrow when the Romans come and they say, Hey, how'd you let all the, all these prisoners leave? He's almost to kill himself. And Paul says, don't kill yourself. Don't do it. We're all still here. Come on over. We're having a Bible study. And so he comes over and he leads the jailer to Christ. Jailer says, you know, I know it's in the middle of the night. Let me go wake my family up. I'd like for you to tell them. And so he goes and his family comes to faith in Christ. And so Lydia and her family, the jailer and his family, are the first believers in Philippi. He leaves Philippi. He goes to several other cities. And four of those cities, there's a riot. And finally, in Acts 20, Paul says, you know what, I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. And his buddies, his real friends, they say, you don't want to go to Jerusalem. You know, all these people that are so mad at you everywhere, well, they're all, they all live there. So don't go there. And he says, but God's compelling, me. I have to go there. And so he goes to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. He's thrown into prison. And for the rest of Acts, what we're told is that he's literally, they're they're navigating him all the way to get to Rome, where he's going to stand trial under Nero. So about eight years pass, and he's up there. He's in Rome since he's left Philippi. And this is what happened. Check this out. The church in Philippi, it's grown. It's not just two families now. Now they have overseers and deacons. They have a leadership structure and they hear that Paul is in prison in Rome and their prison system was not like ours. If you didn't have friends that gave you food, you didn't eat. And so they take up a love offering and they send it to Rome and he is so overwhelmed with gratitude that he writes them a thank you letter. And that letter is what we call the book of Philippians. Now, you might think, wow, he probably like railed away at people in that letter, all the pain that he had. And what we find is this is the most concentrated letter in the New Testament when it comes to joy. These are the references. This look at the screen right here. You can see all the different places and the, or at least some of this isn't all of them actually, where he's talking about in my circumstances, this is the reality, but I find joy and I'm rejoicing and there's gladness within my heart. And what we're going to look at over the next three months is the passages that are built and hung upon these hooks throughout the book of Philippians of how is it that we can find joy. He's in prison, he says, but there's joy. I'm lonely, but I know joy. I'm anxious, but I know joy. I'm poor, and yet I know joy. Why? Because he was near Jesus, and so his heart knew joy. Joy is found in Jesus. Second, joy is available to us by committing our lives to Jesus. It's one thing to say, hey, there's money in the bank, but if you can't ever get to it, who cares? Who cares? It's another say, or to say, hey, you know, joy is found in Jesus, but if you can't get to it, well, who cares? But the good news in the gospel is he's made it available to us by trusting Jesus Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, this is an important thing of the words that he uses. If you notice in verse one, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants or bondservants. Some of your translations actually say slaves of Jesus Christ. So what's happening here? Well, in the Old Testament, they had this thing that's called bondservant to And if you went into debt, you could actually sell yourself to the lender if you couldn't pay off your debt and they would provide you food and shelter for you and your family and a job to be able to pay off that debt. Well, once it came time for freedom, there were actually some people. And so God made a provision in the old Testament for people who said, you know what? I really like it here. I like the protection that's afforded to me in being in this house. I like the direction of this person. This person is actually for me. And so there were some people that say, you know what? Being under your protection and under your direction is far better for me than me being on my own. And this is what happened to Paul and Timothy when they say we are bondservants of Jesus Christ. They're saying we voluntarily are submitting our life to the lordship of Jesus Christ because we see that being under his leadership affords us greater protection and direction than being on our own. And so, why? Why would Paul make this decision? Was he just, did he just lack self-confidence to be able to call the shots in his own life? No, it wasn't it. No, what happened was he saw in Jesus Christ somebody who loved him in such a way that no one in the history of his life had ever loved before. You see, Paul knew that he had a sin problem, which is why he worked so hard to be righteous. And there's nothing that he could do And his sin was separating him from God. And because joy is bound up in God, he was separated from joy. And so God, in his love, he sent Jesus Christ to this earth and he died on a cross for Paul's sin and for ours. He was buried in the grave and he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, Jesus invited us to commit our life to him. And in doing so, that he would forgive us and give us his righteousness and give us joy. We commit our life by literally the word commit, roll over upon. I used the same illustration last week, but it's like there's a bed and you wonder if it's strong enough to hold you up. And so you can you can try to put some weight on it and sort of test it. No, to commit literally means, you know what? Full flop. Here we go. I'm just jumping up and landing on it, trusting that this is going to be able to keep me off the ground to save me. This is what it means to trust Jesus, to commit our life to him. It's not saying one foot here and one foot here, one God here, one God here. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And we do this by admitting that we cannot save ourselves by believing in Jesus Christ and then confessing it was Lord of our life. The Apostle Paul, the same one, says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And what's amazing is, in verse two, he says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ is that when Paul trusted Christ with his life, when he committed his life to Christ, he received grace, he re- unmerited favor. He received an adoption into God's family that he didn't deserve. He received forgiveness that he didn't reserve. He received eternal life that he didn't deserve. And grace always has a running buddy and his name is peace. And all of a sudden, for the first time, Paul knew peace because he knew that he was now right with God Almighty. He said, you know what? No one's ever loved me like you've loved me. And so I trust you with my life. And this has to be the only explanation possible for why Paul kept going through the book of Acts and why his joy kept growing. It kept growing. You see, if you go to London, you go to the palace there. Buckingham palace. And you know, they have two big flags that fly and they tell you something about what's happening inside the house, inside the palace. There's a union flag. And then there's the Royal standard and the Royal standard that you see right here, this is flown when the queen is in the house. That's how, you know, you see this flag. She's there. They fly this one. She leaves. They take this one down and fly a different one. So, you know, if the queen is in her house and so it is with joy. Joy is the flag that flies in the heart when Jesus is in residence. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the churches in Galatia. And he says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy among other fruits. You see, when we walk with Jesus, who is full of joy, we enjoy his joy. Now, let me ask you, do you enjoy his joy? Have you committed your life to Christ? You know, you can do that right now. You say, well, how do I do that? You, how, do I, how do I plop down upon the bed? How do I do that? You can, he says, you confess with your mouth. What do you confess? You pray. You talk to him. And you say, God, I admit to you that I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. And I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ and his accomplishments. And I confess him as Lord over my life. And the Bible says that when this takes place, he says that he saves us. And he allows us to experience joy. And so this is how we get joy. But now how is joy protected? Every one of us knows what it's like. In fact, there's a lot of us in the room right now that are believers and we experience joy. And then uh, this, this semi-truck of great disappointment rolls down the center of the road and we find our joy off in the ditch. So how in the world is it possible for us for this joy to be protected? And this is the last one. And it's joy is protected by living in agreement with our identity in Jesus I know that's kind of a wordy sentence, but every one of those words is important, which is why I left all of them in there. Okay. Joy is protected by us living in agreement. It's one thing to agree about something. It's another to live your life in agreement with something. And that something is our identity in Jesus. So to make the point, let me ask you to do something very specific. Okay. Don't yell this out loud just to yourself. I want you to If you could choose just three words and only three words that most describe you to someone who doesn't know anything about you or your history or your hope or the most important things about you, what three words would you choose? What three words would you choose to describe yourself to somebody who doesn't know you? And now what I want you to do is to choose three other words. And these three other words is what you think The people who know you the most would choose to describe you. So three words of how you would describe yourself and three words that you think your closest friends or family members, your spouse, your kids, somebody would say, if you want to know something about Brian, these are the three things you need to know about him. Now, I want you to know that whatever you chose is critically important to your life and to your future. And it's because they make up a large part of your identity. We all live in accord with our identity. Every one of us does. Our identity is simply formed by believing either what we say about ourselves, what others say about ourselves, or what God says about ourselves. See, 1 Corinthians chapter four, Paul writes this. He says, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. He goes, in fact, I don't even judge myself for it is the Lord who judges me. Now, did you notice that Paul affirms that he has three judges in his life? Looking at him, observing everything about him, making statements about him. He says, other people judge me, I judge me, and God judges me. Three judges. You see, joy is protected when we live in agreement with what God says, because what God says is the truest thing about us. You see, when we trust Christ, an absolute miracle takes place that's described in Colossians chapter three. It says that you, for you died And your life is hidden with Christ and God. Now, let me tell you what this means, okay? Let's just say that this was not see-through as it is, or see-through, that, that it was a great big block of wood, right? And you couldn't see through it. And if we were looking at it, right, and we go, and, and, and if this was Jesus, we would say, you know what? He's, he's holy, and look, he's blameless, and he's faithful, and there's no condemnation in him, and he's, and he's, and he's a saint, he's holy, he's perfect, like all, all of these words that we would use to describe him. And what he says here is this, is that when we trust Jesus Christ, it actually says that we live in him. In other words, it's like we hide behind him and God, what he sees in Jesus becomes true of us. We get a whole different identity. Let me show you there's, there's, there's over 90 attributes in the new Testament where it says we are this in Christ. Let me just show you three of them, right? One is it says that we're free from all condemnation in Christ in Romans chapter eight, Ephesians one, he says that we are faithful Ephesians chapter two, it says there were members of God's household. Now for the sake of time, let me show you how this works and how this protects our joy. We're just looking at the first and the last one. We're free from all condemnation. You may look at yourself and say, I'm guilty. You may have a friend who knows everything, all the worst things you've done in your life. And they routinely talk to you and they say, you're a shameful person. But if you trust Jesus Christ, all of a sudden he comes and he says, you're totally forgiven of your sin. And there is no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Now you have to make a decision of whose message are you going to live in agreement with? And your joy will be protected when you agree with God. When you live in agreement with what he says about you is true. Look at the last one. He says that we are members of God's household. We're part of the church. We're part of his people. And you know what? There's a lot of people who are a part of the people, and yet they're not living in agreement with it because they never join. They never connect. They never worship with. They never learn with. They never pray with the people of God. They're always at the beach, or they're always in the mountains, or they're always at home, or they're always at work, or they always have something else. And their joy, part of the joy that God has available for us is being who he's made us to be. And so what happens is that if we are the people of God and we don't hang out with the people of God, we set aside a portion of our joy. And so joy is found in living in agreement with what God says about us is true. And it is so good to have friends who remind us about what he said. And that's what he does here. He says to all the saints in Christ Jesus. He calls them saints in Christ Jesus. Jesus is a saint. He's a holy one. And he says, and in Christ we are too. He calls the church in Corinth saints as well. And if you know anything about the church of Corinth, then you know that this is considerable grace. That he would call you a saint. You say, there's no way I'm a saint. I don't have a halo and you should see my past. But if you trust in Christ, you need to see his past. What has he done? How perfect is Christ? Because you're now hidden in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sinned who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This means that because we've trusted Jesus Christ, he takes away our sin and he gives us his righteousness and therefore we become a saint. And to live in agreement with this is to know joy. So let me encourage you, first of all, to commit your life to Jesus Christ. If you haven't already, we would love the privilege to be able to pray with you that you could know Christ as your savior and you could enjoy his joy today. Second, let me encourage you to carve out time to study the word of God. It is virtually impossible for us as Christians to rightly discern God's will for our lives or to even be aware of our new identity in Christ that's connected to our capacity for joy if our Bible remains closed. Let me say it another way. If it's true that there are over 90 things that God says about us in our new identity, could you list 10 of them? Do you know what it says? If we don't know, then we can't believe that it's the truest thing about us. And so we have to be in the Bible. We have to read the Bible. We have to study the Bible. And all I can say, I want to help you do that. We want to help you do that. If if, if you say, I want to read the Bible, I don't know how, stop by Next Steps or, or, or come talk to me afterward and we will... I wanna help you to find a way that you can understand and enjoy reading the Bible. And the last thing is this, is let's do what Christ tells us to do. You see, as we open up the word of God, what happens is he begins to impress things upon us. And when he does, let me encourage you, when you know what he wants you to do, I wanna encourage you to act quickly. Even if you don't understand the second rock you're supposed to step on, if he's illuminated the first, step on the first. Take the first step. You see, this is how he's built the whole thing. It's because he loves faith. Proverbs chapter four, verse 18. You know what it says? It says, this the path of the righteous. is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. You know what that means? It means that when God tells you to do something, sometimes the only thing you can see is one step ahead of you and it's barely illuminated. You can't even see a second step. And so sometimes we think, I'm not walking. I'm not starting until I see the whole path. But this is how God's things work. He says, I love faith. And so you take the first step. And once you get it to the first step and then you wait, suddenly he illuminates the second. But if you never get on the first, you'll never see the second. Is there anything you know God wants you to do today and you're not acting because you don't know how it's going to go? Take a step. And one of the things that God's word tells us to do is to talk to Jesus about our world and to talk to the world about Jesus and I want to show you a video of a family here at Providence who's seeking to do that. This is, this is not the path of godliness. It's their path. God has illuminated this path to them. But I want to show you how real people wrestling with real God and real joy and their gifts are seeking to implement it. So watch this video.
1: Hi, we're Ashley and David Brown. Uh, we have three kids, Camden, Anderson, and Evelyn.
2: I grew up in Providence. I've been at Providence since I was nine and um, it's been neat to grow up in a church that uh, really puts emphasis on missions and really encourages um, people to go.
1: I've had a heart for um, church planning and seeing the church grow and um, just God's kingdom uh, reaching the unreached and um, for a while had wondered how we could be part of that outside of uh, outside of Raleigh and outside of Providence um, but never really found the right spot I ended up uh, having a conversation with Thomas West and uh, I started to explain you know some of the things that were going on in my heart uh, about uh, church planning and specifically uh, for whatever reason the Lord had put on my heart a uh, questions about the state of the church in Europe. Just seeing some of the uh, old and beautiful churches and cathedrals and recognizing that the life inside had, had uh, faded. And so I was, was telling that to Thomas and eventually he explained that they were thinking about uh, moving to London to plant a church. Our intention is to go, uh, to be early uh, founding members of the church Uh, but to live in the city uh, via our vocation. Uh, And in this case, uh, we're going to start a new business in the city.
2: It's been encouraging to me personally just to see people who give up everything and move and um, never did I ever honestly think at this point in my life that I would be doing this.
1: So we're going to start a shared office space uh, that will be home to a diverse group of individuals, professionals, and our job really will be just to care for them, provide a, a an inspiring and um, encouraging space for them to work. We can uh, get to know them and and have access and opportunity to share why we're there and what we're doing.
2: This process has been um, hard. Um, it's been probably the hardest thing um, that I've ever gone through personally. It's It's been hard to give up things that I've got here. But um, at the same time, I'm, s- I'm so thankful. Just this morning, I was thanking the Lord for bringing me through this, because um, it causes me to just fully trust in Him.
1: We have looked at uh, specifically Romans 12, uh, where Paul is writing, he says, you know, because of the mercies of God, uh, which we've all experienced, um, that we should then present our bodies as a living sacrifice to Him. And so, you know, if you rewrote it, it present your family, present your home, present your career uh, as a sacrifice to God because He's given it to us anyway. When you think about it that way, uh, it's really not giving up anything that we have a right to in the first place, but uh, it's really recognizing that the Lord gives you certain things uh, and skills and uh, those are intended to be presented back to Him uh, for His purposes, uh, and that we find in that um, an incredible good for us. What's up, Providence family? It's Thomas and Daniel checking in with you from London, England. It's been a very fruitful and productive six weeks. Thank you so much for sending us. Browns, we know it's an important day for you guys, so we're so excited. All the planning and dreaming and, and even tears together for you guys to finally join us here in just a few short days. Looking forward to seeing you guys soon. Providence, we thank you for sending us, for sending the Browns. We look forward to hosting our first partnership shirt together in just a couple of weeks' time. Thank you so much for supporting us. We love you. Love you guys.
0: So as... As you know, God's really placed it upon our heart um, to do a lot of things, one of which is to plant churches around the world. And and God began to stir in the hearts of several people here at Providence to plant a church in London. We've sent uh, several already. We're going to add the Browns uh, to that mix. And what I hope that you see here is this, right? These aren't super Christians. They're just real ones, okay? God has uh, placed upon their heart a burden for people that people would hear about Jesus Christ and to them, this is their step of faith. They have real fears. They have real children. They have uh, r- real gifts. Um, they have uncertainties. And some of the happenings that are going to happen in their life are going to lead to a lot of not being happy. right? And yet they love Jesus Christ. And so as a result of that, they have, the, they have a lifeline of joy. And that's why they go. And so um, this is, to this is, uh, be honest with you, it is bittersweet. It always is. We love the people at Providence and the Browns, uh, they are special to us. David has led uh, here at our church, our camp for our students the last several years. He's served as a deacon. He's served with students. He's, just, he's, he's, he's served a lot. And Ashley has actually uh, served the last several years on our staff with our children. And so their investment to us as a people um, has been um, well. It's been real, and it's been significant. And so, um, we want you to know that we love you. We're so grateful for you, um, and uh, and we're proud um, of you uh, and your faith. Um, and so, in Acts chapter thirteen, it actually says there that that when God did something in the hearts of people, and they said, "These are the people who should go." It says that the congregation, the elders, they stood up and it says they laid hands on them and it says they prayed and commissioned them out. And that's what we're going to do. And so as I pray out loud, I want to ask you to pray for the Browns family as they go. Okay. Would you join me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your amazing kindness to each one of us that allows us to be able to hear the gospel. We know there are people around the world, including London, who have never heard the story, the true story, that makes the most difference in their life. And so I pray that you would go before the Browns. I thank you for their children and pray that you would give them confidence, that you would give them joy, that you would open up their eyes to help them to see amazing things, not only in your word, but in the world, what you're doing around the world. We thank you, Father, for David and Ashley and for their investment in our lives and in this church family. And so it's a privilege to pray for them, knowing that as we commission them, that we're sending out a part of our own and that we have some of our own already who are there. And so we are so grateful. We ask God that you would protect them. Would you provide for their needs? Would you provide the visas that they need? Would you provide the resources that they need? Would you give them favor when they arrive to be able to start a business that is sustainable, would give them a platform to be able to tell people about the life of Jesus Christ and how much life we can have in knowing Jesus Christ. Would you bless the church and grow it? We pray God that very soon that the church would, would grow to the place that just like in Philippi, that there would be elders and deacons, that Lord, that there would be health and continued growth. And so we ask for your grace in their life. As we send them out, we know that we send them with all of our heart, but we also send them knowing all the promises that you have made to us and to them are yes and amen in Christ. And so we look to you in faith, ask that you would bless them and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.